right. Well, thank you, Greg. And um, thank you for singing this morning, being led in worship with the worship team and everything. I'm encouraged to be here and be back with you guys. It's been a good couple weeks for me to get a little break. Thank you for allowing our family to have a little time off. Greg, um, thank you for leading the past couple Sundays. Tina, um, thank you for sharing a couple weeks ago. And Betsy, um, thank you for sharing last week as well. Uh, really enjoyed our conversation series that we just went through, and I'm looking forward to just starting a new one here uh, on prayer. Now, I, I want to just invite you, if you're comfortable uh, in a minute, um, to raise your hand if you're comfortable with it, and if not, that's okay. Here's an assumption I have, that, that many people um, understand that prayer should be done, but many feel some layer of shame and, or guilt. They aren't praying enough or simply don't value prayer enough to care as much as maybe they think that they should. If for you, you've ever felt that way, I will say I have felt that way. If you're comfortable, would you raise your hand and say, yeah, I've, I've felt some shame or guilt that I haven't prayed enough. There's more that could be done. Yeah, thank you. I think almost everybody, truthfully, raised their hand here, and some were like, I don't know if I want to raise it, but I think I, I might. I think there's something there for us to pause on for a minute without adding more shame and guilt, which is not what I want to do. But here's what I think happens with prayer. Because we feel both we should do it more and also shame and guilt that we don't, we often don't ask the questions that keep us from praying more, that are honest, serious questions. If you've grown up in faith at all, sometimes our faith doesn't grow with our age. Sometimes we retain a childlike faith, even as adults. And children are afraid sometimes to ask bigger questions. Adults shouldn't be. And I think there are several questions that we have about prayer as adults that are serious questions that sometimes we don't even know how to verbalize or even that they are holding us back from understanding the real value or even what prayer really is. And so in this series, it's going to be a six-part series, I have um, five questions, really, that I'd like to look at with you that are honest, serious questions. And then I have a framework for us that is not mine, but we're going to go to some of the prayer that Jesus recommended that we consider praying to help us think through what prayer is. In order to get there today, to start, I want to think, have you think with me about a headache. Not about me being your headache right now, but just about a headache. Now, I don't know if this is your story, but it is mine. When I get your common run-of-the-mill headache, if I think about that moment, the first thing that I do, almost invariably, is I will go to the medicine cabinet and grab some ibuprofen, some Advil, Tylenol, whatever it might be. I'm just going to grab some headache medicine, and then I'm going to go about my day. I might, depending upon what is going on in my day, I might rest. I might get something to drink or eat. I might even go outside and go for a walk or go for a bike ride to try to get it off my mind. But I will tell you now, what I almost never do is pray about my common everyday headache. Now, I don't know if that's your story or not. Let me go further with this. Let's say I were to have my common everyday headache, but it wasn't to go away. And I finally break down and go to the doctor after six years, okay? And the doctor finally says, you know, this is a symptom that there's something bigger wrong with you. Let's do some tests. They do some tests and the results come back that I have a serious form of cancer. You know what the first thing is I do? Pray. Pray. 
Why is it? Why is it that for the most common, normal things, I do not, first of all, pray, but for that which seems out of my control or a bigger deal, I will. And I would argue even the most irreligious people will pray. Why is it that we do that? And I would say that we are very practical, pragmatic people. We do what works. The reason I don't first pray when I get a little headache is because I know the ibuprofen will help. Why should I pray? I know that a rest will help. Why should I pray? It's not that I hate prayer or don't value it. It's that I do, and maybe I think you do, what works. And when I have a diagnosis like a cancer, I don't know what else will work. And so I pray. And so I want to ask this question this morning. It's a serious question. I want to ask it for real. Does prayer work? Does it actually, actually work? Now, I, this is a, a, a serious question, one that I want to ask from a scientific perspective. And here's what I want to say, and don't leave the room quite yet or click out of the live stream quite yet. Here's what I just want to acknowledge to you very openly and honestly. I can't prove that prayer works, okay? Now, don't leave yet, even mentally. I can't prove that prayer works, and here's what I mean by that. Let me just be very honest. I cannot prove scientifically that prayer works. If I'm going to employ the scientific method to prayer, I cannot prove that if you pray for A, you will get the result B. I, I can't prove it. Now, before you get too concerned, let me add something to this. I can't prove that prayer works, and that's a good thing. I want to explain to you why that is in a minute. I can't prove prayer works, and I want to convince you this morning that it is a good thing. Here, here's what I mean by that. Let me go to the first thing. Here's why I can't prove that prayer works. I can't prove that prayer works because the truth is what you pray for and what I pray for, I can't prove that it wouldn't have happened anyway. Let's say during my time of dating Jen, my now wife of almost 25 years, isn't that exciting? 25 years next year? Yeah. When I asked her to marry me, and I certainly prayed about that, was her yes an answer to my prayer? Or if I was not a Christ follower and never prayed, would she have said yes anyway if she too were not a Christ follower and were willing to marry me? How can I prove that the prayer that asked for clarity and wisdom was actually granted or not? I mean, how can I prove that? How can I prove that if I were to pray for another job or an increased income or wisdom in a relationship and I get those things, how can I prove that that wouldn't have happened anyway? I can't, and I don't think you can, and I'm okay with that. I really am. Now, well, what about those things that are even more improbable? What about the times and the stories that you hear of of people who pray for healing for a medical problem, and all of a sudden the doctors say, you know what, I have no idea what happened, but between now and your last test, the tumor is gone, the bone is healed, you are fixed, things are taken care of. What of that? Certainly that must be a God thing, right? Again, I have to say, I can't prove that it is. I also can't prove that it's not. I just can't prove it either way. I would argue that improbable things happen, whether I pray or not. 
years ago, five, six, seven years ago, our family had the chance to whitewater raft um, in oh, Cody, Wyoming. And it was pretty exciting. It was pretty fun. Now, in a raft, there was about eight of us in this raft, and our family of five, there's maybe ten of us in the raft, anyway, our family of five was with another party. There was some young adults there, and there was one lady, I'm just going to call her Jane for now, I don't know her name. She lived in Los Angeles, and she was there with her party of five, so ten of us in a raft. We were, we were rafting, never met these people before, go down the river, finish the, the deal, um, and then that, that's a, that was on a Tuesday, let's say, we spend time in Cody, Wyoming, we go to Yellowstone for a couple days, we go somewhere else, and then on our trip out west, we make our way over to um, the Grand Canyon. Now, on our road trip out to the Grand Canyon, there's a lot of driving out west, a lot of driving. Um, we decide it's a hot day, and we got stuck in traffic. We're like, let's pull over at a McDonald's and get some ice cream. And so we pull over at this McDonald's somewhere, I think, in Arizona. I can't remember. It's now like four days later since our whitewater rafting trip. We pull into this little stop, and we're there for a total of like 12 minutes to get McDonald's. In the door walks Jane from our whitewater rafting trip four days prior in Cody, Wyoming. She had gone back home to Los Angeles and decided to come out here, and for those minutes of time, of all the people in the entire world and all the places that we could be, we ran into her. She looked at us, and we looked at her like, what is happening here? You've got to be kidding me. What are the chances of seeing her again in that little slice of time, in that little place of all the people in the world, of all the places we could have gone for a rest stop? But let me be honest, I didn't pray about the chance to see her again. I don't think anybody in the world prayed that that would happen. It just happened. Improbable things happen. So do probable things. They happen too. A farmer prays for rain, and the event organizer prays that it doesn't rain. And sometimes it rains, and sometimes it doesn't. Is it an answer or is it not? I can't prove that it works, but I also said that it's a good thing. It's a good thing before you walk out of here and think, what is this pastor doing who's saying prayer doesn't work? It's not what I'm saying. I'm answering the question, can I prove scientifically if it works? That's a different question. Here's why I think. Why is it good? Why is it good that we can't prove that prayer works? And here's why I think it's good. Because if we could prove it, we could harness a power that would destroy us. Think about that for a minute. If you could prove that your prayers worked, how much money would you pray for next? Which elected official would you pray for next? How would you influence governments, power, control, health, life, death. Can you imagine the kind of power that you could harness if you could prove, yes, my prayers work? You don't like a dictator in the world? We're going to do the exact same thing we did last time we prayed for that healing, and it came, and I can guarantee you, give me 30 days, and he's going to die. It's going to look natural, but trust me, can you imagine what it would do to us as a world, as a society, if we could prove that cause-effect relationship with prayer? It would destroy us. It would destroy us. That's why it's a good thing. But don't let me finish here. I want to I put it this way. 
I want to encourage us to rethink how we consider prayer. And when you consider prayer this way, think about prayer like a request. Sometimes requests are granted, and sometimes they are not. Sometimes they're granted, sometimes they're not. Think about when you were a child and you asked your parent, your mom or your dad, for a second helping of cake. Sometimes the answer was, absolutely, it's your birthday. The next time was, are you kidding me? You already had half the cake. No way I'm going to give that to you. Think about prayer like a request. We're coming before a heavenly father and requesting things. Sometimes requests are granted. And sometimes, quite simply, they are not. Now, I love the way C.S. Lewis puts this in, in his little book called How to Pray. It's actually a collection of different writings of Lewis. He helps us rethink and reframe prayer. And here's how he says it. He says, for up until now, we've been tackling the whole question in the wrong way and on the wrong level. The very question of does prayer work puts us in the wrong frame of mind from the outset. Work as if it were magic or a machine, something that functions automatically. He puts it this way. He says, prayer, in the sense of petition, that is asking for things, is a small part of it. Let's expand how we think about prayer. He's saying the petition side, when we ask for things, that's a small part of prayer. And I love the way he describes the rest of this. He puts it this way. He said, confession and penitence are its threshold. Adoration, its sanctuary. The presence and vision and enjoyment of God, its bread and wine. He paints this total picture of prayer that says, it's not just about getting what I want from God, as if somehow I can increase my chances of getting something by owning the power of a magic spell. And if I have the magic spell of prayer, and if I do all the right religious things and practice my righteousness in the right way, then certainly if I pray enough and in the right heart, in the right spirit, then I will get what I want. No. No, that's not it. A small part is petition, but a bigger part is what he's saying here, confession, adoration, worship, and presence of God. So as we jump into this series, I think I want to start here because I think sometimes we enter prayer the wrong way. We certainly enter with shame and guilt that we all should be praying more. We feel that. I'm afraid sometimes to verbalize that. But I think some of the reason that we don't is because we ask questions that we answer with our actions. And we don't have a chance to talk about them and really understand. And so this morning, I want to start at a different place. And I want to start with a prayer that many of you, if you've grown up in church, are very familiar with. And to get there, I want to invite you to turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 6. Now, Matthew chapter 6, we're going to go through several verses to begin here this morning. And if you don't own a Bible, there's one in the, a chair near you. That's our gift to you, uh, by the way. Um, and you can just look it up on your, um, on your device, your mobile device, whatever it is. Matthew chapter 6 is the first book in the New Testament in the right two-thirds of your Bible. You'll find that. And as you get there, just hang for a minute when you get there. I'll, I'll be with you there in a second. The context is what we call the Lord's Prayer. Many of you, even if you don't have a background in church, are familiar with that general idea of the Lord's Prayer. There's a, there's a couple places in the New Testament where the Lord's Prayer shows up. Let me go to the other one on the screen first. So hold Matthew 6 for a minute. I'll be right with you on that. In Luke chapter 11, here's what we read. One day... Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, 
teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. Now, that's where I'm at with this series. I feel personally, again, like there are seasons of life where we got to come to the Lord in this same way, teach us to pray. I need to learn again. I need to sit again at your feet. I need to let the shame and guilt off to the side. And God, I'm just going to ask you, teach me again to pray. I might be so old that I already should know how to do this by now. God, teach us to pray. The disciples walked with Jesus. Teach us to pray, coming in that position. Let me learn. Let me learn. Let me learn. And so here's how Jesus begins, and it's very uh, powerful how he does. And he says, Father, he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. This prayer provides so much meat on the bones for us to think about. This will be the, the structure, the prayer that we're going to go through for the next several weeks. And we're going to go through it mostly in Matthew chapter 6, which is where you are. So let me take you then to Matthew chapter 6. Look down at your Bible there. I just want to look at one verse to start, and then we're going to back up in a minute. Look at verse 9 with me. This jumps into the parallel section from Luke 11, and here's what we read there. This then, Jesus says, is how you should pray, our Father in heaven. Now, that's all I'm going to say there. So Jesus begins by inviting his disciples. When they ask the question, God, in this case, they're saying, Jesus, teach us to pray. Like, there's something about your prayer life that is different than what we're used to. So teach us, teach us to pray. And he begins with this idea of a father, of our Father in heaven. Now, you should know this about Jesus. In Matthew, he speaks to his Father. We see it 14 times in the book of Matthew, all right? 14 times in Matthew. And when he speaks of the Father, 14 times he speaks about my Father. He's speaking to his dad, for lack of a better term. Okay? Jesus is speaking to my Father, my Father, my Father, my Father, my Father. And then all of a sudden here, for the first time in Matthew, he begins to refer, and doesn't just begin, he only refers to his father in a different way. He says, here's how we should pray. Our father. It's a powerful invitation to the disciples. It's a family invitation. It's not unlike when I was in Barbados growing up as a kid, and my friend Paul, his dad, owned um, one of the really nice Hilton um, uh, hotels there. Uh, it was a beautiful, luxurious hotel. Um, and went to a birthday party with Paul there and, and his dad. And I shared some of that before with you, I believe. But when I was there, I remember feeling like the reason I'm here, the reason I'm here in this beautiful place is because of my friend's dad. Like He has the power and authority, and now I am a beneficiary of my friend's dad's power and influence. And if I were to go to Paul's dad and say, hey, could I have some water? He would say, sure. I would be glad to help you out because you are one of my son's friends. You are functionally, for this moment in the birthday party, I'm going to treat you as a family member. I'm going to give to you what I would give to my own kids. Save the discipline part in case I was bad. He probably wouldn't punish me the same way he'd handle his son, but you know what I'm saying. And this is in a way what Jesus does here. He invites the disciples. He's like, here's how you should pray. Our Father who art in heaven. He's inviting them saying, I'm going to share with you the relationship I have with my Father. And so when we come to prayer, 
You know how we raised our hand a minute ago? If you looked around the room, 80, 90% of the hands were up. Let me ask you, does a loving Heavenly Father love when His children feel guilt and shame about how they come to Him? And so when we do, and I share that with you, when we do, I think we have to maybe come back to this moment and say, I'm coming to a father, a dad, who doesn't long to punish me, but who Jesus has invited me to start at the beginning of my prayer, at the beginning of how I even think of prayer, and say, who am I coming to? I'm coming to a warm heavenly father who wants me to talk to him, who wants to be known. It raises a question for me, how can I learn more about what this father is like? And what I love about the Matthew passage that you were in is that the opening verses, Jesus himself describes more of this father. And that's why I want to spend the next few minutes with you. I want to go back to Matthew 6, verse 1. And from here, I want to read through several of these verses all the way up until we get right back to verse 9. Because when I ask the question, how am I supposed to know what the father is like? If I'm going to pray to a father, how does Jesus describe his father? Matthew chapter 6, the opening verses describe that for us. And so I'm going to use it and learn from it. And so let's look at these verses that begin the chapter. Chapter 6, verse 1. He says, be careful not to practice, this is Jesus speaking, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your father in heaven. So a couple principles here, and there's going to be six that I'm going to highlight here, okay? A couple principles. First of all, this, when I think about our Father, in verse 1, we see this, that He is for us, and He wants to reward us. This idea of you have no reward from your Father in heaven, it means that He does want to reward you. Three times we'll read in this passage the idea of rewarding. He's going to want to reward, reward, reward. Now, I don't know how you come to prayer, how you come to seeing your Heavenly Father, but Jesus begins to give us a framework to say, my father, whom he prays to 14 times as my father in Matthew. He's like, let me, let me invite you to, to pray to my dad, okay? I'm going to invite you to pray to my father. Here's, here's what he's like. He wants to reward you. He wants to reward you. Like, that's his opening posture. He loves you. Like, he's for you. And I don't know what your experience with your own father is, but if it's a, a sense of judgment and order and things have to be set a certain way, a little bit of a hard line, a little bit of a disciplinarian, sometimes for many, a little bit of a distant or emotionless father, a little bit disconnected, unsure, maybe unable how to articulate feelings or emotion or care. You feel a distance and a gap there. It's very human, very normal response for many fathers and many children to have toward their fathers. This is what Jesus speaks to. He says, this is a father who wants to reward you. And so as you come in your own mind, take the guilt and shame of I'm not praying enough. Because sometimes if you're anything like me, sometimes I'll say, well, if I haven't done enough, let me up my game. Let me read a book that'll motivate me. Let me find a podcast that will inspire me. Let me do something, maybe join a group that will help me be accountable so that I'll pray more, so that I can come to the Father and show Him I'm doing, I'm doing more now. Like, accept me more because I'm doing more. I'm more consistent. I'm more faithful. I'm getting up early and praying longer. I have a list now. I have a real list of things. This is actually working for me now, and I'm doing it. I'm doing it. Like, now maybe you're for me. And Jesus just begins, he said, your, your father's for you right now. Forget your list. Forget the extra. 
right now, without the shame and guilt, he's for us. This is how he's oriented, which is why Paul writes in Romans a verse I love. He said, don't, don't ever, don't, don't ever show contempt for the kindness or mercy of God. Don't you know? Don't you know it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance? He's oriented for us. It's a powerful, powerful concept to start with. So as I start and as you start, as you think about prayer and step into this series, I have no interest in additional shame or guilt in your life. None whatsoever. I just want to learn how to pray. <laughs> and Jesus says, let's, let's, go to the, let's go to my dad. All right. Trust me, he's good. He's for you to start. He wants to reward you. Practically, there's a couple more things we learn even in this verse. One more thing that I learned here, and I love the, this part. <laughs> our Father doesn't care what others think of our prayers, by the way. That's what I see in verse 1. He says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. In other words, sometimes we can think that my righteousness, the things that I do to practice my goodness, when I do them in front of others, if others are pleased with it, then God must be pleased with it. If others think my prayers are good, then that must be God thinking my prayers are good. If others think, it, if in a group setting I pray and I get enough silent, mm, mm-hmm, amens. If I get enough of those things, then that must mean that I'm doing good. Like, I must be saying the right things. And, and, and Jesus says, you don't, don't practice that. That righteousness in, in front of men, like it, it doesn't matter. And my words is God doesn't care. Our Father doesn't care what other people think about our prayers. Now, that's not the issue. It isn't how many, mm-hmm, amen, and yeah, go get them, boy, I get. I get. That's not, it's not it, right? It's just not the way it is. Now, he goes on, Jesus goes on and explains more. He says, so, verse 2, he's talking about this principle through verse 2 into verse 4. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received a reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And then here's the summary principle. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, here's the principle I get from this, that our Father sees and rewards authenticity. And I know that word is big right now. We want things that are authentic. We want things that are genuine. We want to get away from the facade of social media. In fact, that's a, a thing now to, to show, you know, Instagram and then reality pictures side by side, and we're trying to get authenticity. Our Father sees and rewards authenticity, that when we do what we do in secret, He will reward you. And so you may wonder sometimes— is there ever anybody who sees? You may labor in anonymity for a long time, both in your giving, in your service to people, even in your prayer for people for a long, long time. And our Father, here's what Jesus says, our Father, he sees your prayers. He sees those times, and he rewards the authenticity of your heart. Like he sees that and says, this is what I'm looking for. This is what I'm looking for. Jesus goes on. Verse 5, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen, and then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Here's the principle I get from that, that our Father is present in private and humble spaces, like He is. He's right there with us. So when you go into your room, close the door, pray to your Father's unseen, what is done in secret, He'll reward you. You don't have to be in this special space. You don't have to be in another environment that He is present in very private and humble 
spaces. That's where our Father meets us. And I don't know about you, but that to me doesn't feel very guilt-laden or shameful. It means here's a Father who sees the quietest, sometimes hardest spaces of our life. And that's where he longs to be with us and listen to our requests that we make of him. He goes on. And when you pray, verse 7, do not keep on babbling like the pastors. No, like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Here's principle five that I get from that. Our Father isn't impressed by big words or long prayers. Our Father isn't impressed by big words or long prayers. And I know sometimes some people struggle to say, well, I don't know how to pray right because I can't find the words. I get that. I get that. Sometimes it's hard even personally to find the words. Again, we can relax on that a little bit. One of the things that the Holy Spirit does is he takes the, the inner groanings or longings of our heart, and what we read in the scriptures is he intercedes for us on our behalf before the Father. And so he takes, sometimes you have a desire for something and you can't put words to it. That's okay. It's okay to sit in the silence of the moment, knowing my Heavenly Father is sitting here with me, allowing the Spirit in a way to take that inner turmoil and groaning and desire and put it, if you will, into words on your behalf for the Heavenly Father. So our, our Father isn't impressed by big words or by long prayers. He talks about going on babbling over and over and over again. If you raised your hand out of shame or guilt for not praying enough, sometimes we think we just don't pray long enough or often enough or enough, 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 which, of course, is never enough. And here, right away, Jesus is saying, I, my, my, my dad doesn't need you to babble to him, okay? Like, if you got something to say for a couple minutes, just, just say it. Or you got something to say for 30 seconds, I mean, let's get that out. But he doesn't need you to sit there and babble to him. That's not helpful. He's not impressed by big words, by, by long prayers. Finally, verse 8, do not be like them, he says, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Principle number six is this, your father knows what you need before you ask him. That's straight out of Jesus's words. Now, that's entirely comforting for me and troubling at the same time. Here's the comforting part. The comforting part is that I have a father who's attentive and present with me. Any good dad who's present with their children will know, especially small children, when they start crying, they'll know there's a couple things they need either do for change or they need to eat or go to sleep. Okay, I mean, that's about the extent of it when you're super, super small. As children get older, dads who are present and engaged can read the room on their kids' lives a little bit before they even know what they need, right? It's just the way it works. Moms, you do often a better job than we do as dads in reading the moment and understanding that. But dads, if they're tuned in, will understand what their kids are wrestling with before they can even put words to it. It's very comforting to me that our Heavenly Father, that Jesus tells us that our Heavenly Father is that attentive to your life that before you even ask it, he's sitting with you like, I, well, I know, because <laughs> I'm walking with you. I know. Thanks for coming, but, but I, I mean, I know. That's what's comforting. What's troubling for me, and this is the question we'll tackle next week. If my father knows what I need before I ask him, why ask him? Why bother praying at all if God knows what will happen and what my needs are to begin with? That's a serious question. 
It's not a throwaway question. That's the question that I want to tackle next week. And I believe there's an answer in this very prayer itself. So, to summarize, let me go back to my opening question. Does prayer work? Does prayer work? Here's what I want to say. Prayer works to connect us to our Heavenly Father who loves us. That's what prayer works to do. Prayer works to connect us to a Heavenly Father who sits with you, who is for you, who knows what you need before you ask Him, who's attentive, who has no interest in your shame or guilt, who doesn't need your long words nor mine or big prayers, but He's attentive to me and He's attentive to you. He'll take our requests, and sometimes He'll say, you got it. And sometimes He'll say, no way. You have no idea what you're asking for. But that's the nature of requests. Sometimes they're granted, and sometimes they're not. So does prayer work? Yeah. It works to connect us to the heart of a heavenly father who sits with me and sits with you in the stage of life that we're in, who doesn't ask us for more because he wants more righteousness from us. And I'm not going to put words in his mouth, so these will just be my words. I don't want, I think God wants the same thing, but I'll let you be the judge. I don't want more guilt or shame for you on prayer. I want, I want you to feel and sense the presence of a loving Heavenly Father who will take the words or non-words that you have, who sees your heart and invites you to know Him, to connect with Him like no other. All right? So, I hope that as we begin this journey that you're encouraged to ask some serious questions and engage and know a Father who loves you deeply. Will you pray with me? Our good God and Heavenly Father, thank you for the chance to start this series, to ask some good questions, to get into your word and to maybe see in a new way or a refreshing way what it means to know and see and care and have a Father, Heavenly Father, who cares for us. So I pray for us as, as people who almost to every man and woman would say that we should pray more. We feel like we should. We can do this. We can do that more. And yeah, maybe. But I pray that you would help us not to be motivated by shame or guilt or by practicing a level of righteousness, by being people who took off certain standards, but that we can come back to what Jesus says when his disciples say, teach us to pray. Teach us. Let me learn. The first thing that he does is introduces us to his dad and say, come. I've only been praying to my father now, praying to our father. We want to learn how to pray. We learn what the Father is like. He is fundamentally for us and loves us. I pray that you'd help us to lean into that with courage as we ask our serious questions about what works. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.